We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 269 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and with me today is Emil Evanesian. How's it going, Emil? I'm good, Dan. How are you? I'm okay, because obviously today we're talking about the wage bill problems. We're talking about Spain losing to Italy on penalties. We're talking about Argentina, though, getting past Colombia. So even though it's the end of the show, Argentina-Colombia, that's probably going to be our headline that Messi has gone to the final. So I'll give away the title early on in the show for those who just listen and don't look at the title. But where we unfortunately begin is with the wage bill problem. So however good that we might have felt, Going on the internet, whether it was Reddit, whether it was Twitter, whether it was the closed Facebook page, even the Patreon, having conversations there. Yeah, it can make you sad pretty quickly because I don't want to be too nihilistic. There are ways that Emil and I are going to speak about at the end of this little segment about how Barca not even can wiggle their way out of how cataclysmic this might be. But basically in that in the Disney movie Milan, how the Huns survive that avalanche, Emil, Barcelona basically have to be the Huns in this situation. And they have to figure out a way to at least keep a few of them with their heads above water. And I'm not sure who that, to continue this analogy, I'm not sure who that Falcon, who uh, the leader whose name escapes me now, I'm not sure where the Falcon is in this journey to help pop one of those heads out so that they could try to get like the main cast of characters (laughs) out. Because yeah, I mean, I'm going to get into numbers in a second, Emil, but I mean, what are your first impressions that as the numbers become more clear, we're not exactly sure of everything yet, but it seems like we're just getting more and more confirmation that in the ways of which this is terrible. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of the thing we, we heard for a long time just about the, the debt load and, how it was untenable and how the wage bill was astronomical and how there was so much transfer fees that were left to be amortized and, you know, money that, that had yet to be paid out for transfers and things like that. So sort of in, in a general sense, we knew the things that were wrong, but for a while they were kind of wrong in a behind the scenes or intangible way where you could kind of focus on fanciful transfer rumors and things like that. But now it's sort of the, the moment is kind of coming where you have to figure out, like it, it's come home to roost. <laughs> and it's part of the problem is, and I think that a lot of the online discourse, just sort of around Barca in general and sort of the, there is kind of a palpable, I don't, I don't know if it's frustration or just full-blown anger or, or, you know, kind of what it is, is that 
we kind of have to keep having the same conversation the same day for the simple fact that, you know, the same conversation every day for the simple fact that it's the constant for the club right now, sort of it's right there with kind of death taxes, oxygen and everything else. Like until this is somehow some way dealt with, and we'll kind of talk about, you know, sort of hail Mary scenarios where kind of try to deal with this, but it, it is a constant. It's no longer a hypothetical. It's no longer kind of, Oh, maybe if we can do this in January in the January transfer window, blah, blah, blah. No, I mean, it's here and it's knocking on the door. You know I mean? It's, it's not even, it's not even down the block anymore. Yeah. And I think me even like producing podcasts and producing YouTube videos and articles and everything that on barcelona.com that I've in the last year when I've kind of known the situation, I've fallen into the, we'll say the fallacy of appeasing those who just, you know, there are so many online accounts that just scream, Barca don't have a number nine. We need Holland. We need Holland. We need Holland. We need Holland. So obviously I'm looking at Holland. I'm looking at his games. I'm looking at the way he would fit at Barcelona and arguing with people that people said that he wouldn't fit at Barcelona as like a player. And then I'm arguing that of course he would because he's a goal scorer and that's what he does with kind of getting rid of the caveat that there's an alternate universe where Barcelona can afford him. But in truth, I mean, people have joked and they're probably closer to the truth than it's been correct that if he were to sign with another major club for the amount that they're asking for, that being Dortmund, he'd be closer mm-hmm. to buying Barcelona than Barcelona would be from, from buying Holland. And, uh, right. you know, it's, it's, it's not entirely true. But I, I think no. that's also has always been seen through the lens of Lionel Messi, that whether Messi were to leave, it was almost felt like, having him gone whenever he needed to economically, that a Hail Mary for Messi, right? Because when he was trying to leave the club and exit the club during Bartomeu, the idea yeah. was that obviously if Barcelona can't re-sign Messi or if money is such a big problem, that he wouldn't make the concessions to come back. But now yeah. the reality seems that because he's willing to take, I mean, the numbers that I'm seeing from, again, The Athletic and Dermot Corrigan and Zach Lowy had some good stuff too, that I'll, I'll read those numbers, but... The idea now is that Messi has to take between 7 to 10% of what he was making. So his wages have to go down 90% yep. for Barcelona to even be able to afford him if they can get to their threshold. So let's go through this now. So not only can Barca not resign and register Messi, but they also can't register Depay or Memphis, Sergio Aguero, Eric Garcia, or Emerson because of exceeding the Liga salary limit. So a reminder, too, that in the past when we've spoken about Barca, we're talking about FFP related to UEFA, and that's the kind of thing that PSG and Man City should have been in hot water for but weren't because as UEFA Mm -hmm. showed us time and time again, whether it was with the Bayern Munich thing, whether it was their reaction to what was a terrible idea in the Super League uh, in the way that two wrongs don't make a right. So UEFA just continues to, to bundle all of those things. So this is actually between Barca and the Liga not just with the UEFA and what the Champions League would be. But because it's with the Liga, you still have to be able to register a player. And if a player is not registered with the Liga, they cannot play in Champions League, believe it or not. That seems to be something that's changed. And I think Coutinho, when he came, didn't fall under that and then subsequently fell. Now the rule has been changed in, in recent years. Okay. So anyway, Umtiti is... Unfortunately, the first name I say, but he's the one that's getting the ire of it. I, I think he's one of the main figures here. Refusing yep. to rescind his contract. So Barca are hoping that a crazy club is willing to pay his 20 million euro salary. The same goes for Coutinho's 28 million euros. And the, we'll say the variable we don't know is there's different reports whether or not, not that the club still owes money to Liverpool, but in what way they have to pay back those installments and to what way those installments count against Barcelona's salary for this season mm-hmm. and moving forward. I think so, it's the amortization that exactly. sort of goes into it. Right. Yeah. And if you want more on the amortization of things, 
Levon and I, I think we did a long segment on that last week, or or I believe it was just uh, the, the most recent show. So we went over what that word means and all uh, all that goes into that, whether it's Griezmann, whether it's Coutinho, and then the other gentleman, Pjanic, where stretching that money out over the course of the contract is, yes, that makes sense, but it's also where the salary could be saved potentially because, again, bringing up mm-hmm. Pjanic, if they were able to get Umtiti, Coutinho, and Pjanic, their salaries off the books, it's reported that it could be about $64 million saved in salary. But that number that they have to get down to is $200 million. So just talking about Umtiti, Coutinho, and Pjanic, who are some pretty big earners, they're still, uh, you know, my math isn't great, but they're still 136 million euros short. And so now you're talking about, and the reason for this is due to Barca's wage bill being 110% of his total income, which is mm-hmm. astronomical. It's impossible to understand that. So they can only spend 25% of their income, which would also be needed to register and pay Messi for all of that. And that wouldn't even cover the new signings. So you're just talking about Messi with that 25% of their overall income, which has now exceeded 110%. Too many numbers there, but the point is they still they have to get somehow down 200 million euros. So we're talking about Brothwaite, Alenya, Lenglet, Neto. Those aren't really big, big earners. Uh, Lenglet makes a little bit more. But then Dembele, Griezmann, our names are throwing around, of course. And then there's salary mm-hmm. reductions to PK, Busquets, Alba, and Roberto potentially if they would like to stay as well. So there's a lot going on there. But the final thing I throw yep. it over to you, Emil, in that... I'm preparing myself for a really sad reality. And I've been saying this for weeks now that I have to be prepared looking at the wage bill for the reality that number one, more than anyone else, Serginho Des is going to be sold this summer. I know you're not seeing rumors about it. I know you're not seeing news, but looking at what he makes and the way in which that desperate uh, Barcelona were desperate to bring him in, I have to be prepared for the reality that Serginho Des, Juan Araujo, Iash Moriba, and or Ricky Puj might all be sent out. Maybe not just for this year where another club will cover their salary because that their salaries won't even help. What will help is what the transfer numbers that they'll be able to get that can go towards Barca's income to try to get that income number down low enough that they can spend a little bit more in registering the new players. And that well, is an awful that, that's, uh, yep. that's kind of the thing is what, what you're kind of talking about is on the one hand, it's with situations like this where you're looking at sort of an expense as a percentage of, of revenue and things like that. And you have to, when you have to adhere to a certain, to a certain level or to a certain kind of, yeah, the two ways you do it, you either lower the expenses or you somehow figure out a way to raise the income so that your current expenses are a smaller percentage of, of the income that you have. Now, yeah, like the first wave of guys that you talked about, so Coutinho, Pjanic, Titi. I mean, you could even probably extend it to, you know, kind of the, the some of the old guard with uh, Jordi Alba and even Sergio Roberto, Brathwaite probably to some extent. Those guys aren't going to generate revenue. Okay. If someone else is willing to take them, like there's the, the best you're going to get from them is salary relief. And I mean, it may be a couple of cases, sort of a fairly nominal transfer fee, but you're not getting... 20, 30, 40, 50 million for, for any of these guys, where it's kind of where it's kind of a double positive, where you're taking, for example, a 20 million earner off the books. And then not only are you saving 20 million, you're also like bringing in 40 million. Like that's not happening with any of those guys. Right. So yeah, and then you kind of turn to, you know, sort of the the mid-career type guys or you know, the slightly more experienced guys who have value. Now, Anton Griezmann is a an excellent player and he has value to a team. Now his wages are 
astronomical as well. And now the good thing is that he is still kind of enough in the prime of his career and offers enough where a, a mega club and, you know, I mean, I guess PSG is the one that's most bandied about, but where a mega club might take a chance on him being able to provide enough, you know, over a two, three year period to, to put them over the edge for the Champions League and everything else. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Dembele, I think, is, I don't think he's useless as a player. I don't think he's, I don't think he's done. I don't think it's anything like that. But I do think it's kind of, it could be a little bit instructive and a little bit sort of helpful to sort of acknowledge that just there's a good chance that it's not going to work here. 
You know, I mean, it's just his future successes are probably going to lay elsewhere. I mean, if for no other reason that, I mean, there's so many deck chairs that need to be kind of shuffled around just in the attack, just to find him consistent minutes. And then on top of that, he needs to sort of be healthy and be productive long enough to kind of slide into that role as, as a Barca star. I'm now extremely dubious of, of that ever happening. Well, I think his health and Coutinho's health are part of the worry of this, that Dembele and yeah. Coutinho are currently out injured. Therefore, they can't really flip him on the market. And the other thing about Griezmann, too, is that you look at PSG, they've already brought in their replacements. PSG has already shown their financial medal, and there's no reason for PSG to give Barcelona this lifeline. And I don't think they will. And so now you're at a point, too, where, you know, we've been talking as with COVID as the background, where Barcelona's hoping, as they did last year, where they got COVID relief. So this, all this whole problem should have happened last summer. But because of COVID, those, all, all those punishments were, were, were levied, where they, you know, they weren't going to come down and they crashed down because all clubs are dealing with COVID. And now they're at a point where, not that COVID is over, but hey, we're asking all these other clubs to basically have survived COVID and dealt with it. So Barcelona, why do you get an exception? And so when you're looking around who can afford Griezmann, the list of clubs is no one, including Barcelona, can afford Griezmann and is willing to take on Griezmann. Because again, you can't just talk about Man City and PSG as scapegoats. And the only reason we talking about them like that is because they shirk FFP. And we know that there's no ramifications for their spending. And so that's the only reason we talk about those two in that manner. So not to get really, really nihilistic there, but I, I think the one of the only things that could happen here is not to say that Barcelona wouldn't put a good faith effort in, but the concessions would be made in that Tabas is holding that being the Liga president is holding his line and saying that I cannot possibly give special treatment to Barcelona to allow them to register Messi and to do all these things that they want to do when they don't deserve to do it. And I think he's actually, believe it or not, I think Tabas, a man who I don't respect much, I think he's <laughs> right to hold the line. And I think it's fair to walking outside of Barcelona. I think it's fair to the other clubs in the Liga as to why he should be holding the line on this and not allow spending to get that egregious. Because again, this is how Man City and this is how PSG happen. If you don't hold the line here. That said, Liga for a long time, whether it's with the TV deal, which he argued that they were able to get the ESPN in the US deal, even as Messi looked like he was on the way out and Ronaldo was already gone. And yet that deal still happened. So I think Tabas, you know, was able to stand on the footing that La Liga is a product that people will want, regardless of whether Messi is there or not. Though I'm not sure about that. <laughs> uh, we'll have to see yeah. when the, when those numbers come in. You don't know what the TV numbers are until they, they come to fruition. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. But in terms of, yeah, the commercial success of what having Messi for two more years does for La Liga, I, I think that's just so much money to pass up. And I'm not sure if the other clubs won't be upset with Tabas that he were to exile Messi in that way. It just it, it just doesn't seem possible. But he, he can put Barcelona in a situation and say, hey, if you want Messi then you've got to get rid of almost everyone else. You've got to completely gut your squad. And if you're a Barca fan, and this is the two really sad parts of it, right? If you're a Barca fan, would you really want Messi around if you were to lose, as we said, if you were to lose Dembele, De Jong, Dest, Ter Stegen, Araujo, Moriba, Ricky Puj, Alba, Busquets? Is that worth it? Is it worth it to have Messi and the new signings that came in? Because that's what we're talking about. Though That's how bad these numbers are. And then the other part of it, too, is I saw a lot of response about the Super League. And I'm again, the Super League is a bad idea. 
But I, I just sure. pe- hope people just understand the gravity of why Laporta and Barca are still pushing for that Super League. Because that income is the only thing that could potentially potentially save them. The only yeah. way they potentially could qualify or not I mean, push for Champions Leagues and whatever is through is through that. And I think they're afraid for the same reason. That if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously probably against the Super League because you're going to be with this club through thick or thin. But the majority of Barca fans, if Barca don't, not only if they do not have Messi, but if they don't look like they're going to potentially be contending for Champions League for the next five years, they're out. And Barca yeah. are going to lose, what, 30% of all their revenue from all of those bandwagon and just ticker tape fans. And they're going to, by losing oh, all those fans, they're going to lose all that, that additional revenue. So we'll still be here and we can stand on our principles that Barca aren't in the Super League. And again, I hope they don't either. I'm willing to host this podcast through some losing and through some dark years. But problematically for me, as I said, with the Super League, it's frustrating to me that Barcelona and come back to Bartomeu, we've gone this long without saying his name, that Barcelona and, Bar- and Bar- Bartomeu put them in a situation that they can't possibly get out from under this without some, some real pain, some real grievances, or completely compromising their values. Or they might do both. They might have to compromise their values, as it seems like they have to do with Dembele and Griezmann, where they can't just kick them to the curb for their, their bad news that they had this week. They just kind of have to apologize on top of everything else the club does on yeah. behalf of their players and say, hey, these guys messed up, but hey, could you guys please actually still call and buy them? You know, Don't, don't let this yeah. be disqualifying for, for putting them on the market. Yeah, and it gets really dark really quickly, as, as I said. So uh, it's, it's a difficult balance to try to figure out who needs to go, who will go, yeah. and what Barcelona and what La Liga could potentially get some kind of some kind of reasoning well, here. I think like I mean to to kind of play that play that scenario out a little bit. I guess you just kind of have to cross your fingers with some of the the older injured guys. Um, now there's I don't know what the numbers are as far as uh, Piquet, Busquets, Alba, and Sergio Roberto as far as the I guess the magnitude of pay cut that they're that they're willing to take. So I've, I've I heard would 50%, imagine I've heard fifty percent fairly fifty percent. Yeah, I, I mean, I, at least I, mean, I would and imagine that it would be substantial. For PK, um, I've heard seventy, just because oh, he's okay. on, like yeah. almost the end of his career, so he's almost willing to take a goodwill a goodwill deal. Basically, yeah, as Iniesta exactly. did at and, the end in Iniesta's final season, he took that very very low salary but future accommodations. Yeah, I mean, like, Gerard Piquet is kind of a sort of a future president of Barcelona. You know, like, he's, at, at this point, he, he will probably give up as much of his salary as is sort of, as is feasible. And um, so, I mean, okay, so we have we have those guys there with the old but new bad news about Griezmann and, uh, and Dembele surfacing when it did. I mean, it's like the loss of leverage could not have come at a, at a worse moment for, for Barca, but yeah. So, I mean, they have to kind of hold the line and probably privately just apologize like, like crazy to, to Rakuten, lest they, lest they lose a major sponsor as well. And, you know, because Rakuten's only signed up through the, through next season. And so, and the thing is, like that sacred that that sacred ground of being on the Barca shirt in a year or two, kind of when we played this out, is not quite the prime real estate that, that it was. So you know those those reups aren't gonna aren't gonna generate the same. Well, cash. it was also rumors so that it, the younger guys. It was also rumors that Rakuten would be one of the lead candidates to put their name on the Camp No, which is another part of of yes. generating revenue. And so the one thing I want to say too is economically, 
you know, I, this isn't a finance podcast, but hey, th that's where the money is. So <laughs> in our business, so yeah. hey, if people want to sponsor us and pretend we're a money podcast, sure. But you know, wh where my line has always been, this is me changing my thinking over time. My, my thing has always been when, you know, I have discussions with family about uh, income and spending where there is egregious spending that happens and it's okay to cut down on your spending. That's fair and be healthy. But the way I've always viewed uh, finances is that it's not that cup of coffee that's really killing you. It's right. the amount of income you're not making at work uh, and not even at the job you're at, right? That there is more income to be made in this world. And so to me, it's always better to just, if you got a $3 raise, then that's going to not only pay for that daily cup of coffee, but that's going yeah. to pay for a vacation or a, you know, a, basically almost a lifestyle stain, change because... The three dollar cup of coffee. I I don't drink coffee, so I'm, I'm gonna really plead my ignorance here. But however much coffee costs in this world, <laughs> so but that's not that three dollar cup of coffee that you're going that you're now being able to afford. It's you're able to change your lifestyle, uh, you know, yes. almost completely because you're not you're making again a three dollar raise per hour if you're working forty hours a week or whatever yeah. is now how much extra money, right? It's one hundred twenty dollars extra yep. a week. Right. And so that doesn't pay for the extra cup of coffee. You know, that's now close to $600 a month. Yeah. That right? pays for much, much more. Exactly. And I mean, I think in that sense, I, and you never know how it would go. I mean, I imagine that any kind of like Rakuten sponsorship would probably be, I imagine it would be a lot of signage. I don't know that they would um, actually change the name of, of the state, but I think it would probably just be every time you see the stadium you probably would not be able to turn anywhere without seeing some sort of like Rakuten signage or advertising. Yeah. Like it stinks, but I feel like that's kind of an inevitability at this point. Like when they finish the, uh, so the, the that whole project, the Aspire Barca and you know, once that's, once that's done, I feel like that's an inevitability. And just given the, the completely kind of the, the dire and bleak situation that the club finds itself in, I think that's fine. Like it's not fine, but it has it sort of has to be in this scenario. But I think as far as like the the player trading goes, I mean, then the because so we were kind of going through, and you mentioned the the young guys, you know, sort of the the more prized assets on the roster that the teams are actually going to want. And yeah, I mean, I think the the notion that Sergio Dest might have to go because he will command both. He'll both command money and come off the wage bill. Now, the the other young guys, I don't know exactly what their salary figures are, So, but I mean, kind of as you alluded to, simply getting their salary off the books isn't going to move the needle kind of all that much. But if you can, I don't know, I mean, I guess if you can bring in, with, with the sale of a couple of these guys, if you can bring in sort of 80 to 100 million euros and save a certain, a certain amount of... Um, salary like reduce the wage bill by that much i mean it's a it's an awful solution to kind of an even more bleak problem but sort yeah. of we we are very much in a sort of you got to do what you got to do type situation and as far as your question about sort of watching messi with a with a more gutted barca and how that would be i mean it's sort of a weird thing in kind of in european football or in european soccer because a lot of times these super clubs and superstars a lot of a lot of times don't end up sort of the way they do sometimes in American sports, where you have a superstar aging and the team around him sort of gets old or gets bad, and you see someone playing out their string on a bunch of bad teams because they're usually able to 
sort of politic and force a move to another club. Right. So a lot of like the, the great players of a generation very seldom sort of play on awful teams. And so that would be kind of a very strange, I mean, you know, like the, here's the obligatory NBA thing. I mean, it would be very much the sort of post 2011 Lakers and, and Kobe when he was playing with just a, a murderer's row of anonymous replacement level guys. And now Barca might not be that bad, but there wouldn't be any depth. And, you know, it would be, you'd be gutting sort of the, the future to just pay the bills now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know where I, yeah. I, mean, well, I guess I, the, the notion of Messi going anywhere is, is kind of repulsive to me, <laughs> but at the same time, it's just, it's a massive, massive financial hit one way or the other. Yeah. And I think the, the where we end this today is that, uh, we now that we I think fully have transparency on the the dire situation and again we're getting more and more information about the numbers and smarter people than us are putting all those things together and figuring out what exactly certain players need to have their salaries reduced to again the big different the big thing we don't know is PK Alba Busquets Roberto some of that old guard that yes they might be on the block to be sold but they also if their salaries are, when their salaries are reduced, we should say, to what yeah. portion are they reduced to? And I think that gives us a much, much better idea on what other players are are willing mm-hmm. to be uh, to be sent out. But because of how negative we're getting, and I mean, the craziest thing for me to end this with, I'll say, I'll, I'll, I think I'll say the meanest thing I've said so far, that, I mean, they can get to, again, I said 136 million euros still left after they would potentially get rid of Umtiti, Coutinho, and Pjanic if they were able to. Well, one way to get to 140 or 133 or 136 is 70 million for Pedri and 70 million for Ansu Fati, and then now you've got your solution. And so, just the fact that I put that out into the universe, because that's not going to happen. Pedri and Ansu Fati, I think, are the two most untouchable players, even more so than Messi. Let's put it that way. But with those yeah. two being completely untouchable, again, mm-hmm. that's where I think this gets absurd, because obviously Pedri and Ansu Fati, especially after this summer, that we're going to talk about Spain now, Pedri is not going anywhere, and Ansu Fati isn't going anywhere. Unless, unless, because Ansu Fati with his super agent, unless they want to push that he's and basically let the club know that he won't be resigning, and I think it's 2022, so or 2023. So I mean, if that's happening, hey, put that on your radar. But for Ansu Fati, he wouldn't that transfer fee wouldn't be as big if he left now because he's been injured for nine months. Right. And if he even if he played until January and scored. 10 gold or whatever he's expected to we'll talk about that in expectations in a few weeks but yeah the point being is because we're talking about Pedri and we're talking about all these young players potentially the club being completely gutted this is as bad I think as a conversation will get and then I think solutions from this right you know I, I think yeah. this feels like rock bottom this conversation so yes. the only way to go from rock bottom is up so the positive thing I end people with the twist is that because you heard this bad news and you listen to this podcast and you're still with us, you know how dark that this feels and there could be some lights and it's going to not feel good, right? Like with the Super League, the light at the end of that tunnel is still muddled and muddy and foggy and doesn't feel good. Or the light at the end of the tunnel with um, Tabas again, if he were to be a little more lenient with Barcelona, the negativity that would garner from the rest of the Liga teams and from clubs around the world who not only do they already hate Barca, but they're willing, they want a reason to feel like Barca is the evil empire. And, you know, I'm very much a moralist, so I hate feeling like we're the bad guys, right? And so in my own head, I convince myself that we aren't. And because how can a team with Ansu Fati and Messi and, you know, how could they be the bad guys? But boy, oh boy. The problem was Barcelona had a people running the club financially who... They certainly weren't, even if they weren't bad moral people, 
they financially were bad at their jobs. And that winds up, if you're bad financially, that usually, there, there's moral corruption that is, there's equivalence there, you know? That unfortunately, yeah, yeah there's, an, there's a moral equivalence to being poor. Well, the thing is, too, to, I mean, there's people, you know, around sports, there's people in all businesses, but there's people around sports who run clubs and run teams who are bad at their jobs. Yeah. But, you know, when, when they're fired or when they move on, even when they've been really bad at their jobs, like, it's not this completely barren, almost like post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic world that they leave behind. I mean, if you had taken over Barca and actively tried to create the worst possible sort of landscape in, in a four or five year period, like, I don't know if you could intentionally do this. Just like by dumb luck, something would work out for you. You know, I mean, you, yeah. uh, so it's, um, yeah, but I mean, I think the, but the bad thing is, I think these, and as much as I enjoy sort of bashing the, the old regime and everything like that, the, these, re, like these recriminations, they're going to have to stop at some point just because like yeah. where we are, where we are, we can curse yeah. the name of Bartomeu kind of forever and probably will, but you have to figure out kind of, where to from here? Like, what is the, right. where's the first yeah. step in the, in the right direction? How many times can you say that it's true? And it's, it's, I feel like I'm thinking and speaking outside myself. I go back, I remember, and this is three, where I, three locations ago for me where I lived, you know, three studios ago. And I remember okay. sitting in that very first studio as we just started the podcast in the first year. So we'd been doing it six months. And both Frances and I, hard line, how is Coutinho possibly going to fit at this club? How is this he going to fit? This doesn't make any sense. Liverpool is going to continue to price gouge them and push that price up and up and up. And we both said, absolutely not. We'll try to make the best of it. And we don't blame the player, but come on. And now four years on, the, the vitriol we had for that deal at the time that we said, it just makes us so uncomfortable, even though he's at, that, at the time was better than he is today. He's now a worse player than he was when he came. And that is economically the absolute worst deal in football history. Yes. As I mean, far as well, production still... and as far as commercial value equal to the price that was paid. It's the financially worst deal in football history, which is... Well, he's the third largest signing ever, right? Correct. Behind just Neymar and Mbappe. Yeah. Which is... Like, it's, it's astounding. I mean, mm -hmm. just, I mean, like, there's just, like, words escape me yeah. when you I look mean, at that. And you quickly, you quickly, again, it's, that's how much are you willing to blame what the decision Barcelona made? And we've gone through this a billion times now in four years that mm -hmm. they had that Neymar money burning a hole in their pocket. And so they spent it. And so Neymar and PS, PSG broke the system, but Barcelona yeah. allowed it to be broken. And they played into it. And they joined the fray into that broken system. And so... I, I don't argue a lot, but I w got into it on, on Reddit with somebody just about that. Barcelona were not the first domino in that. The Again, the petrol states and the, the big money that was being that was willing to be spent by Man City and PSG to break the transfer market. And, uh, you know, American businessmen are doing the same thing in the Premier League. You know, the, when you look no. at the, the bad earn, I mean, the bad spenders in Premier League at the moment, and now you're seeing it in Serie A as well. Those The clubs that spend too much, they wind up being American billionaires, American... Ownership. But anyway, beside the point, let's be more positive. And by positive, I mean, we're going to talk about Spain, Italy, because even though Spain lost on penalties, Argentina, Colombia was all about the penalties. Spain, Italy, I not much about the penalties. So I don't not only do we not think we learned much, but 
the, the two big takeaways were everyone was rooting for Luis Enrique. He definitely zagged a little bit as we expected him to, taking uh, putting Danny Olmo in the middle. Uh, well, actually, it was Orzabal who was the, we'll say, the number nine, but also mm-hmm. fading out to the wing. And so there was a lot of fluidity in that front three, which means that Alvaro Morata and Gerard Moreno stayed on the bench, which is, I mean, it's pretty impressive. And Eric Garcia starting, Busquets starting, Jordi Alba starting, Pedri starting. So there was a Barcelona core there. And then the other big talking point, of course, is Pedri, who, I I, I don't know. I, I'm of the mind, uh, Emil, that it's okay if a player is playing well. And I know the younger they are, you just want to be positive. But he was the best player on the field. That's mm-hmm. what, that's it. I mean, full stop. He was the best player on the field. And you know what I'm about to do again? I'm about to praise him again because he was the best player on the field in a semifinal. The first time yes. Spain's ever been eliminated in the semifinal of a major tournament. They usually either get to the final and win it or they're out in like the group stage. That's just historically what they do. But then to have, and I think it's important too to say that he's 18. And I, we're going to get into that argument too about improvement and what you do. But the level he's gone, it seems to me that he's taken another step forward for Spain this summer, playing in this different role for Luis Enrique. Yeah, it, it does seem that way. And I think, um, I do think there's a little bit in, I think there's been a lot of value in him playing for Luis Enrique with with the national team, because even though now the you know the Luis Enrique era at at Barca is now sort of faded in the rear view, Luis Enrique is a guy who who gets the club. He understands Barca. He understands at least some sort of you know even if the even if the game and the tactics and some of the things have evolved, he understands sort of what it is to be this 18-year-old phenom at Barcelona. And I think he has a good idea of the, the way to the way to handle the player. So I think in, in that sense, just from a personal kind of man management perspective, I think Luis Enrique was the the ideal, the ideal guy to have there. I think also, I mean, I've been reading, you know, just kind of leading up to the tournament and sort of during the tournament, where you know Luis Enrique is trying to, I mean he's not he's not tinkering he's not completely like just kind of overhauling things yeah. but he is trying to sort of bring a certain level of directness to spain and kind of i mean almost just make it a more kind of i mean i guess it would be directness and more more purpose to to the possession that they have a lot of times and i think he got it exactly right with uh with how he's played pedri the setup and attack was and maybe i'm playing the result a little bit because uh or i thought about fluffed you know a couple of a couple of really good opportunities now there's no guarantee that Jared Moreno or Alvaro Morata put those away but uh but in general I mean I thought I thought Pedri was just spectacular I mean it's just he he was kind of like the the calm and just the the general sort of unflappability just it was incredible to watch I mean it was just like there was like there's almost serenity in watching him because you can tell that he is sort of at his core, like he's, he's calm. Like he's just whatever kind of chaos is sort of swirling, you know, on the pitch around him. He knows what he's doing. Like it is, you know, the Luis Enrique mentioned, you know, not even Andres. like I've never, I never even saw a young Andres Iniesta play this way. And the thing is, it is very kind of Iniesta-esque in the sense that, you, you don't see a lot of like outward kind of uh, gesticulation or just kind of body language and stuff like that. It's just this guy who goes about doing the job that needs to be done almost, you know, sort of stoically and 
calmly and and it's amazing what they do like while they're while they're doing it too it's because it's not just sort of boring workmanlike type things this isn't he's not like a pure just kind of lunch pail player he's a spectacular player who on top of that works like crazy and is able to do all the simple fundamental things immaculately well and then on top of that he's brilliant you know so it's um yeah i mean there's i'm kind of limitless in my praise of in my praise of better right now but he's he's worth it he's, yeah he's the, all of that the numbers that are being passed around is that he completed all 31 of his passing against italy in the first half 22 of those were in italy's half and he's the only player with 100 percent passing accuracy in the first half and then 65 out of 67 passes in 127 yes. uh, 120 minutes the two he missed were in extra time so he was completely perfect through 90 minutes that yeah. said yeah you could just pass back or he was just making the right pass or 15 or 10 to 15 yard pass but that's not even true he completed more final third passes than any other player at the euro 200 final third passes attempted 177 final third passes completed and the level of difficulty on some of his passes were more difficult than he made them look and yes. so what is I think what Luis Enrique and his comments you could see afterwards about not even about Iniesta but about Pedri at a whole his decision making is just beyond what is fathomable and I think what has become now the contrarian argument that people are making is that with just how good he already is with not only the ball at his feet with, with the decisions that he makes especially in the final third that because physically it doesn't seem like he'll grow too much that right. are we already seeing 18-year-old Pedri's peak? Is he already at, be, basically, is he 95% of the player that he will be? And we, we said the same thing about Ansu Fati as well. Is he already 85 to 90% of the player that he will be? And we won't see too much. The one thing that I will say that will change is that, I mean, this season too, it's insane. In a year, just a year ago, he was coming off the bench for Las Palmas a year mm -hmm. ago. And since yep. that time, he played 70 matches 37 yeah. in the Liga, 10 for Spain, the senior team, 7 in the Champions League, 6 in the Copa del Rey, 4 in uh, for Las Palmas in the Segunda Division, 4 yeah. for the Spain U21s, and 2 in the Supercopa. That is so much football, and I hope he just gets a nice rest after the Olympics, I guess. I mean, I'd be fine if... I know he's going to play the Olympics, too. I know, <laughs> which is too much. I wish it didn't happen, but it's going to. But I just hope yeah. Kuman gives him a long rest, like, uh, I mean, at least those three weeks that he deserves... Uh, off and if that means you don't bring him into the fold until October, so be it. Yeah. I mean, give Ricky Pooj that run out unless he's not sold. But so I mean, yeah, exactly. whatever it is, I mean, give give a run out, just give the kid a break. But I don't know. I think where he's going to improve is going to take nuance and difficulty, which is something that the internet is not allowing for. But I think what's going to get better about him is consistency. That I yeah. think he's going to more often those final third passes will make a difference. So his key passes are the thing that I think will improve. And these are small metrics. So the, the, the way that you watch him over 90 minutes, you're just going to get more instances of a really superb final third ball. You're going to get more instances of him changing the nature of a game. And I think with Barcelona, that was in the spring, that was his, where his detractors kind of jumped in. And they said that he wasn't consistent enough. He looked tired. He, and you could chalk that up to, I think, the number of matches that Kuhn was playing him mm -hmm. as well.
But it seems to me that with Luis Enrique's system, I expect more of this kind of Pedri, where he's even more pulling the strings in this manner, because Danny Almo was playing a very free role, uh, a very Messi-esque role. And yeah. so it's going to be on De Jong, and as looking at the partnership between Pedri and Busquets, that there's no reason why De Jong can't play the very similar role to what Koke played. Yeah. And even though they're slightly different players, there are more comparisons to them, I think, than any other midfield three, uh, any iteration of Spain's midfield three, uh, De Jong to Koke. So, yeah, I mean, I think Pedri is going to just get more consistent, and he's going to be more of a difference maker and a game breaker moving forward. But he's going to be doing that by doing all the things that we already see. And that's okay. There's so many... So, kind of the, the notion that an 18-year-old... Admittedly, we just put in a superstar performance against top shelf competition in in a crucible of a match. That that he's peaked is it, it's ridiculous. And I mean, I think you and I talked about this at one point, you know, in in recent weeks. But it's kind of the the idea that well, we talked about it in the context of Eric Garcia, as I'm as I'm remembering that it was kind of sometimes you get if someone at 18, 19, or twenty hasn't already flashed their future superstar bona fides. By the time they're 21, they're spoken about as though they're they're over the hill mm-hmm. and things like that. So this is almost like the weird reverse of that, where you have an 18-year-old who is so kind of precocious and so kind of brilliant in his reading of the game and both his, you know, both in physical technique, execution and just understanding and reading of the game. And I do think it's, it's a little bit of what you said. I mean, I think the, the internet kind of demands, it, it demands content. It, it runs, we're, we're, in a, we're in a take-based economy. And so, I mean, I think every day it's, you have to have something to say. And kind of for us to sit here and while it might be true and it might be measured and just say, Pedro's brilliant, he's 18. I can't wait to see what, you know, four more years of physical development and experience at the highest level and just greater familiarity and just sort of, and his own improvement. Like, I mean, it's, it's not like he's going to stop practicing or, you know, stop, stop trying to be a yeah. good player. I, th- I think it's every, every take needs to sort of, you know, either the, the hot takes or the, the negative takes need to be as kind of, you need to, you need to hit new ground. Otherwise the, the opinions just get lost in sort of the, lost in the ocean of, of opinions. So, you know, this is, I, I don't know how someone would watch Pedri just at the age that he is and conclude that this is the best that we're going to get of him. Because I think not to do the whole like next Iniesta thing, but it's sort of in a, in a certain profile, the, the Iniesta thing fits in that he's not, or David Silva. Physical. David Silva is the well, one that I'm. David Silva is a really good one too. Yeah, yeah. One I wasn't of the two. Silva, but yeah, and like they're not physically imposing guys. They're and they don't really even have the body to get huge. So he's gonna. He, we'll get more physical development probably, but not. He, he's not gonna really like bolt up or anything. I wouldn't imagine. So you know he has that, but he also has this kind of like innate preternatural kind of feel for the game and feel for where everyone is on the field and kind of almost where they're going to be and how to get the ball to them in an effective way. I mean, that, that alone is a skill that ages spectacularly well. Yeah. And now you add to that more time. I mean, he's already kind of, he and Messi, like the, the times that they've, you know, when they played together, 
have been a fantastic link up just sort of yeah. physically, mentally, everything. So, you know, if, if Messi is back, you know, they, they get to continue that kind of, that sort of partnership. And if he's playing in front of PK alongside Busquets and still playing with Messi, I mean, that's kind of from a purely almost like an academic intellectual perspective. I don't know how he doesn't even kind of supplement and bolster his already incredible sort of feel and understanding of the game. So I, I don't, the, the notion that sort of we just saw the peak and I mean, look, if we saw the peak, we should try to sell him for 120 million euros and yeah. try to try to pay off some debts. But the thing is, the the raw materials are there for that kind of sort of generational stalwart, you know, and just he has the kind of stuff that ages well. It's intelligence, it's technique, it's calm in a chaotic situation. It's a lot of stuff that you can't teach, but that also kind of gets better and gets more cemented with experience. From a narrative perspective, I, I think what's next with him, comparing the narrative to Iniesta and Xavi and Busquets even, that now mm. that we're aware of him, he's this very prodigious talent that now everyone with a Euro has been watching him. So now mm. Barcelona, they don't have a well-kept secret anymore because for a lot of the English media who doesn't watch the the La Liga every week and they didn't really understand why Pedri was starting for Barcelona week in and week out and why he deserved to start. That's actually the better way to say yeah. that is that the narrative is now that we understand the talent he is before everybody turns on him when he's on his decline, i.e. Uh, Busquets, i.e. even Xavi in Catalonia in that final year when he was coming off the bench, there's that narrative in the middle when he's a superstar talent who's also winning trophies and it the narrative changes from the up-and-coming talent to we must protect him as a superstar at all costs and understand his greatness. And that's what happened with Xavi and Iniesta as they were winning 08 Euro and 2010 World Cup in 2012. It's figuring out, and I think Graham Hunter does a fabulous job of this in his book, um, you know, Making the Greatest Team in the World for Bar about Barca, is the narrative becomes, hey, this is a I mean, you have to say it, like personality-wise, he seems boring, right? That Iniesta's right. an introvert. We have that same story about how he cried when he came to Barcelona. He didn't want yeah. to be there. And so you kind of retell the same five to ten stories about these players because, I mean, we talked about it with Busquets last week, that Busquets behind the scenes is just such a low-key guy that you never hear yeah. anything about him personally. And with Pedri, people, the, the taxi picture is the one they keep going back to because they saw him taking that taxi home. And that became yeah. this very, oh, it's different, right? What makes that guy different? But Pedri just might be just this regular kid that whose family grew up on at, uh, on the island of Tenerife. And they have a, his family ran the Peña for Barca. And I think we're going to hear that a million times throughout his career, of course, because those oh, are yeah. the narratives. <laughs> and because he's not really, unlike Dembele and Griezmann, for better or worse, who give us content. By, for either good or bad, right? For doing things right. that are wrong. Or Griezmann, who is an advocate for a lot of people. And Griezmann does do a lot of good PR work as well. But Pedri is just there. And I, you get the sense that I think people love him so much because just like Iniesta, just like Busquets and Xavi, as he's aged, has gotten a bit more outspoken. But Pedri winds up being one of those guys that behind the scenes, he just seems like he exists. And it, it, when he co when he, when the next time you're going to see him or hear about him is when he's on the field. And I, I think having that, that lack of, in, in 2021 with Instagram and everything else, just having that lack of overall superstardom, you know, I think the next narrative has to be him as a champion. 
and then it'll yes. be him in decline. And those are going to be the three stages of his narrative career. And so at 18, you know, for us, it's exhausting, right? Because we're going to have to do this same Pedri thing for three or four more years until he becomes right. that trophy winning superstar. So can you handle giving him the same compliments for three to four years? But, but that said, I have to pivot for time's sake, Emil, because when we talk about how we can come up with new words and new ways to explain the greatness of players... I mean, what a great transition. I, I, I'm almost proud of myself for the Argentina-Colombia transition there because that's yeah. what Messi is. We've been talking about Messi in the same way now since 2011. It's been 10 years that we're like, hey, this guy can win the Ballon d'Or this year because he's the greatest player in the world. And that's really all you need to say about Messi every single year. And then all the other details fall in behind, all in line. And so Argentina-Colombia, we've been with Messi for 15, 16 years. And yet that match was different than what anything I'd ever seen from Messi before. Not even in terms of greatness, just the narrative, the story of that game was just even yeah. a different Messi, I felt like. I, I thought, I give credit to Messi. I'm going to let you talk about Argentina and Colombia because the, the, the hot take I will take is that that was the most enjoyable 10 minutes of football I've ever watched, if that makes sense. That game had 10 minutes of football in it. There were so many fouls and it was so terrible of a match to watch that I've been critical to Copa America what an ugly, ugly game. But I, I enjoyed all 10 minutes of the football I watched. And the rest of it was just, I, I embraced the nonsense. And embracing that nonsense, getting all the way up between the bloody ankle and that, oh my gosh, the Latoro Martinez and Angel de Maria, they couldn't finish that late chance. And all the those, memes. Those against, last chances. Oh, Gonzalo Higuain <laughs> and all of that. And Colombia embracing the villain role. Cuadrado, I mean, Cuadrado just like the wind <laughs> flying around. Yes. And Emilio Martinez, I mean, and his personality, the, the whole thing, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle, the whole chapter was just, I thought it was great fun, even though it was one of the worst football matches I've seen. So I don't know if I've ever told you this. I, I may have, I don't know. But with the exception of the World Cup, because just, you know, and even the World Cup almost wins by default. Mm -hmm. But for me, like my favorite international tournament is the the Copa America? Yeah, you and Levon uh, the same. Like, yeah, there, there's a little part of me that kind of you know almost in a like you know I knew them way back when. And there's like there's the sports hipster in me that kind of almost wants to put it above the World Cup, but you know I can't. I feel like that might be a bridge too far. But there is something about the sort of that unbelievable familiarity with all these countries and all the sort of like long festering contempt and all the and all the best players by and large i mean you you get some guys who are playing in argentina and stuff where you know sort of the the stars like but by and large the the superstars are coming from europe so they're back in their homelands but probably in places where they haven't sort of lived and played football consistently you know in, in quite some time and sort of they're not where their most prominent football is typically played. And so it is kind of like you see these superstars and Messi's sort of a per perfect example, I think, where we recognize him from, from Barca and Camp Nou and, you know, sort of the, the Camp Nou is his office and he knows probably every blade of grass there and, you know, all of that. And there is something about them going to these, these other stadiums where kind of the, everything just feels a little bit more, gritty and that game yesterday especially with everything that was at stake and you want Messi to get back to at least get back to one more final you know like let's let's see what happens the fact that it's Brazil and Neymar waiting mm -hmm. for that matchup 
I mean, that's, uh, that's almost too ridiculous. Like just keeping that in mind, sort of those last little bits where, uh, yeah, what was it? The Lautaro Martinez, it was Angel Di Maria, Di Maria Lautaro, and then Leo hit the, hit the post yeah. himself. And it was almost like that's that creep started to happen where I was, where I started thinking, no, man, the world's just not going to give us Argentina, Brazil, yeah. Messi, Neymar in a final, are they? Like, we're just, we're like, we, we can't have this nice a thing. But just kind of watching that and the, the football in that game, like you said, it, there wasn't a ton of football, but there was just a lot of sort of fighting. And it was just sort of tooth and nail battling to, to get to the final. And, you know, I mean, we haven't even really talked about the, the shootout too much, but that was, you know, I mean, uh, so Messi put his away, but what I kind of loved was, uh, and it, it mostly kind of bubbled over with, uh, with Gary Mina's yeah. uh, saved ba- penalty. Baila Arola. Yeah. <laughs> Dance now. Yeah. Dance now from Messi. I mean, yeah. On the Messi case. That was great. Yeah. You do not see flexing, screaming, unhinged Messi very often, and particularly not sort of just screaming at someone else like like that. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want him to be like that every day, but I I, I kind of <laughs> dug it. Like it sort of it it fit yeah. the scene. Like that was sort of the I don't know it, that that felt like what the Copa America is. I mean, just I mean, of course, like the if there was fans there, that would just that would be the last thing to sort of ratchet it up that extra little bit. But I don't know. I mean, I think uh, like Argentina have done what they had to do. I mean, I think, Me- well, I mean, Messi is just, he's making such a mockery of every statistical. Yeah, four goals and five assists in the tournament is yes. Ungodly. So he already has the record for most assists in a single Copa America tournament. He's one, if he scores one more goal, he'll have equaled Diego Maradona's five and five in Mexico 86. And then if he does more than one of either, then, you know, he's. He's about to match Pele too. The next goal matches Pele. Yes. Yes. Right. Which is unstoppable. And so I want to quickly go over the final against Brazil. So Brazil, they're an overwhelming favorite for two reasons. One is that the idea that Messi could finally get over the hump here at Copa America, I think people want it so bad, they're preparing themselves emotionally for that failure. So I think that's part of it. But part two is that since 1916, in the first Copa America, Brazil have never lost at home. Yeah. I I mean, I heard that stat, and I was like, that can't be right. There's no way. There's no way that they've never lost at home. But also remember, the Copa America didn't happen every year. And they also took quite a few years off in the middle. So time happens. That said... For Brazil to have hosted the number of times they did and to never lost at home. Um, yes, they were the dominant team for a long, long time. But it's this yeah. weird thing where we think of Argentina as such a powerhouse, but they have not won, other than the Olympics, they have not won anything in international football in 30 years. And for Brazil, they still get the trophies. They still win Copa America. They still win the trophies. And especially they do it at home. And yeah. not having the fans is a little bit different. But Emilio yeah. Martina, Emiliano Martinez said it best that, it's this weird thing that Brazil are the overwhelming famous. It's not just Neymar. They're this individual, very strong team that Brazil does give those Spain 2010 vibes at the World Cup, where even though they're only winning one nothing, even though they're only winning two nothing, it feels like it feels like those games aren't close. It feels like Brazil are just too much better. And if the other team were to 
get that other goal to equalize, Brazil's just going to score another one on you and win 2-1. And there's really nothing you can do about it. And that's a sense and that's a feeling I get from that Brazil squad. And so for Argentina, they go in just huge underdogs in what, to me, is the best Argentina squad we've had in, what, eight, nine, ten years? I mean, I would say probably since... Oh, six, right? Uh, I'd say maybe oh, like with Hernan Crespo. Maybe the main and... case for 2010, 2010 was South Africa, right? Right. Yeah. You can make a case for South Africa 2010. Or 2014 when they made the World Cup final as well. But but even yeah, that time, not, yeah, even that they, team wasn't that strong. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think of that, even though that's the closest they ever came. I mean, they, they came closer, I guess, technically to, to winning a couple of the Copa America tournaments. But considering like that's the that's the squad that got to the World Cup final, mm-hmm. I that's not a particularly sort of resonant or kind of mythical team in my head. Right. It's the 06 and 2010 teams that I think were really great. And then we sort of had that that decline and the sort of the, the decade of talk of you know messy dependence and you know can can anyone play with messy and yeah. international retirements and you know who knows what else. You know, when you and I were talking about this, I went out on the ledge and said that I thought Argentina were going to win this thing. And so now I'm, so I'm happy about that. (laughs) And I'm more than happy to, to have kind of put myself out there. I think that this next game, assuming kind of Brazil don't strike first or strike early and sort of take the, take the sting out of the game. I think this game is going to be, you might only get like six minutes of football in this in this game. I don't you know because I mean? both of these teams are the ones who've been attacked the entire tournament. It's these true, are the two think, teams that have been on the receiving end of somewhat of the punishment. But they also okay. I, I before you counterattack, I say that both of these teams do have those guys who are willing and are able. Right, like Odomendi has been the one who's been on the receiving end of some knocks. But yeah. against Brazil, Odomendi is going to be like, hey, guys, do you mind if I get a red card in the twenty third minute? Because yeah, you can I, dish it out too. Right. Like yeah. I haven't I haven't misbehaved at all this entire tournament. I've been super behaved. I took yeah. my knocks and now I've got to dish them out. And that could happen that he gets a red card in the twenty-fifth minute, twenty thirtieth minute or whatever. Oh, totally. And the thing is, so like, yeah, I mean Argentina just the, the funny thing is, and I think uh, you know, it's been said a lot kind of recently, but sort of Brazil gets like so much uh so much of a pass for essentially being like samba football and like you know it's like this it's this great glorious dance and you know they're Hoga Bonito, like, yeah yeah Jogo Bonito and everything else but like Brazil have always had dudes who will like hack down the other yeah. teams attackers sure. and like without much uh without much hesitation without much of a second thought and so I think like it's I think it is going to be sort of because it's I think this is one of those things like it's such a rivalry game too. I mean, it's a tournament final. It's a major tournament final. It's Argentina and Brazil. And I think it's just going to be all, I think it's going to devolve into a little bit of like a blood and guts thing. Yeah. Like everyone's going to come out with a game plan and they'll probably execute it for maybe like five or 10 minutes or try to. But then the first time like Otamendi or someone just, absolutely plows through Neymar or you know the first time someone like just clips Messi on the Achilles or you know maybe the second time because it will happen repeatedly yeah right right when 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 Casemiro when Casemiro hugs him from behind and then push his face in the dirt yeah Yeah, just for just for old time's sake you know and I do like reading against Casemiro so at least I'll have that to do 
that he's never been, I mean, that man should start every game with a red card. <laughs> or yeah. by at least a yellow. I know. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're getting biased, but I think the, the final thing, too, to say about it is that for as much as the Euro, I think, has been the better tournament, it's interesting that the Copa final, and this comes before whether England or Denmark win, most likely it's England, yeah. but hey, it could be Martin Brothwaite in Denmark. I'm, I'll be rooting for them, even though yeah. I have some English heritage. But just because the coming home thing, it's just it's, it's too much. It's too much. I can't. Sorry, I can't do it. But that said, whether it's Italy, England, or Italy, Denmark, the Copa America final, which has been... It's interesting, too, though, because I say that from my perspective with the media that I, you know, on my Twitter or my algorithms or whatever... But the Copa America are doing better numbers in North America, which is unsurprising that the, that the Copa America is doing better in North America. Yep. And it's obviously doing better in South America, too. But the numbers of Copa America in Europe are actually doing better than even expected with those games going on at 2, 3 in the morning, that, which is yeah. interesting to note, too. So, like, it's I it's the Copa America final will not take because, again, the broad global media might be in English. It's not going to take center stage. But the Copa America final is a bigger match than the Euro final, which is pretty yes. unfathomable the way that both of these have been covered, especially, I mean, again, I'm speaking merely for the, the um, English audience and here in America. But I do think even for, for an English audience, I mean, sort of for, because I think w- what happens with the Copa America is you have like the handful of superstars that everybody knows from the, from the large European clubs. And then, you know, after that, like, unless someone plays in the Premier League or plays for Barca or Real Madrid or, you know, maybe Inter or somewhere, you know, Juventus. Yeah. Like, they're they're not household names. But they got sort of, they hit the jackpot with this in that, you know, in the absence of Cristiano Ronaldo, they have the two most recognizable sort of followed yeah. and, I don't even know, like, idolized deified um, yeah. players on, well, on the I, I, I do want to jump into that real quick, that you're right. With Copa, yes, in the group stage where there are players for Finland who may not be at the biggest clubs, or even for Denmark, you actually have players who are playing for Copenhagen, or they're yeah. teams that people can't name the best player on those teams. But all that mm-hmm. said, for South America, it is incredible to me, even covering MLS, that there's Messi getting chopped down by a guy who's a substitute on an MLS team. Right. And it just happens to be the case, right? And it's just like, you just expect that it's everybody in Europe in those finals. You, I mean, for Italy, if it's Italy, England, you're basically going to get all, mostly, what, 85%, 90% players who played in the Champions League knockout oh, rounds. Oh, it's just going to be a group of multimillionaires right? running around. You yeah. Know? Like, and, generationally wealthy people. And South America, <laughs> right. And the difference with South America is that, it's, and that, that tends to be the case in Argentina, that we're going to come out of that match going... Did Nico Gonzalez do that? Who just got to move from Stuttgart to Serie A? Did Nico Gonzalez do enough, or was Nico Gonzalez just like it was Mesa before? I mean, what happened? He's still doing it in South America, or before that, it was the former LA Galaxy, now back with Boca Juniors. His name is escaping me now for the for the quick moment, but he was the winger for the LA Galaxy, yeah. and he winds up doing fine in MLS. But then he's next before he made that move to even MLS to the Galaxy. He was playing in, yes, in Argentina for River Plate, but, or for Boca, sorry. And yet he was next to Messi at the last international yeah. tournament. And he's now a complete afterthought. So there's always one winger with Di Maria now on the bench. There's always that one winger that we may never see again in an international tournament. But whether, yes. Bar- whether Argentina, I almost said Barcelona, but whether Argentina win or lose, it winds up coming down to that random player. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, the... At this point, like all these teams know each other well enough, and you know, like the that Messi's going to be front and center is no secret. And 
And it might just be, honestly, I think it, it might be as simple as like kind of Lataro has to take his chances. Yeah. You know, like you can, you can get away with that against lesser teams and not that Colombia isn't even that much lesser of a team, but like, this is Brazil at home. They're dominating the tournament and it's a final, like you got to put it away. Like you don't, you don't want to be like this generation's Iguain, you know, where like you just, you had the chance to, to completely change the, the tenor of the world cup final. Yeah. And like you flubbed it. Yep. I, so the final name I'll end it with is, was the name of that player? Christian Pavon is the name of that. Oh, winger. So, okay. yeah, so, so Christian Pavon, uh, you know, apologies to him, but yeah, we're at that point in the show where now that I mentioned Christian Pavon, I think that's yep. time to wrap it up. So we're on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona pod. Closed Facebook group is the Barcelona podcast. You can ask questions there. Patreon also always appreciate to financially help support the show. You can also listen to these without all the ads and there's a little incentive to support the show. And then we're on YouTube at the Barcelona podcast as well, where, yeah, I've been cutting down on the video segments from these podcasts, but you can still um, watch segments over there. And I am continuing to plan additional content for the new season. I had to recharge my batteries like everybody else too. So I've been doing two shows a week. So I'm, I really appreciate our listeners for tuning in once or twice every week as I've been going through the summer. But again, the video content, we'll, we'll work on that in the future. But for the meantime, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza Barca. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.